changing minds and also changing public behavior, many agree is one of the hardest things to do. And it takes a lot of education and it takes uh, authentic messengers. People uh, need someone they trust to deliver the message. And it takes a lot of uh, personal discussion. That's Citizens Campaign for the Environment Executive Director Adrian Esposito discussing the monumental challenge of changing minds in an era of environmental upheaval and disinformation. Just one of the interesting topics we'll cover today on Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast. Come listen in. This is Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast, featuring up-close conversations with the inventors, investors, executives, and entrepreneurs fueling the dynamic Long Island innovation economy. Spark is a production of Innovate Long Island, the home of exceptional thought in Nassau and Suffolk and beyond. Today's episode is made possible by the generous support of Brand Story Casting by Communications Strategy Group. Adrian Esposito is the executive director of the nonprofit Citizens Campaign for the Environment, which works in New York and Connecticut to protect natural resources and public health through lobbying and public education efforts. You've seen Adrian at all the big environmental press conferences, and you've read about the CCE in hundreds of articles about groundwater protection, land use, renewable energy, coastal erosion, toxic waste remediation, pesticide reduction, fighting, torture, revenge, monsters, true love. They're all over the news. And out in front of it all is Adrian Esposito, who earned her bachelor's degree in geology and environmental science right here on Long Island at the Brookville campus of LIU Post, and is now in her 17th year leading the Citizens Campaign for the Environment. Adrian, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Greg. You know, I can't imagine that there's uh, anything interesting going on right now in terms of the environment. I mean, you have a completely different perspective on climate change in the White House and the Senate and the Congress. Uh, New York State is setting really ambitious carbon reduction goals and throwing millions of dollars into the pot. Uh, Long Island is in the middle of the exciting uh, national offshore wind industry, literally and figuratively. Uh, and of course, the planet is on the verge of ecological collapse. Uh, you must be bored to death. Yeah, I mean, it's just really so boring and there's nothing much to think about, nor any really exciting campaigns. I mean, just because we want to work to save the very planet that we work on, um, yeah, you know. Nothing comes across your desk ever. Interesting. Yeah, it's no. just same old, same old every day. I just can't stop yawning. Now I've heard you, I've heard you speak of the three W's and their importance in 2021. Uh, the first W is water, and I know drinking water quality is still a huge challenge on Long Island. It sure is. Um, water quality for drinking water, and also our coastal water resources, our bays, our harbors, our estuaries. I mean, let's be honest. People live on Long Island um, not because we love the traffic. And not because we love the taxes, but because we get to live by the water. So we want our beaches and bays to be clean. Yeah. And we also have an expectation that when we turn on the faucet, that the drinking water is clean. And sometimes that expectation doesn't meet the reality. 
So one of the things I think for all listeners to know is that Long Island sits on uh, top of an aquifer, which means it's under uh, the water is underneath our feet. And everything we do on the surface leaches down or leaks down into the underground and has the potential to contaminate the drinking water source. So for us, it's a big battle, lots to do to make sure people's uh, drinking water is healthy and safe and clean. Now, I know the Citizens Campaign scored a victory in that ongoing battle. You pressed hard for some new uh, standards for drinking water, and they were adopted by the state. However, suppliers are having some trouble incorporating or meeting those standards. What's going on with that? Yeah, on one hand, we're extremely happy, we are, that we worked very hard um, to get the New York State Department of Health to codify into law drinking water standards for three chemicals, and they're called emerging contaminants. Uh, although I think people on Long Island have heard of them, 1,4-dioxane, PFOA, and PFOS. And those are pretty serious toxic chemicals. I mean, they're associated with everything from causing uh, liver damage, uh, kidney cancer, breast cancer, cancer of the gallbladder. They are serious chemicals and we don't wanna be drinking them. So once the drinking water standards went into effect, which was August of 2020, they now are required by law uh, to, water suppliers are required by law to meet those drinking water standards. But that's where the complication comes in. So drinking water suppliers- um, Easier said than done. Yes, as many things in life. Um, but the technology for 1,4-dioxane is new. Uh, there's a waiting list for drinking water suppliers to get that technology. It's expensive. Um, but also the other chemical, PFOA and PFOS, they need a different type of treatment technology called activated uh, granular carbon that's less expensive and that's more of the standard treatment. But what viewers, what viewers, what listeners, what we want you to know is that unfortunately, so far, there's 21 different water suppliers across Long Island, which have obtained what's called a deferral from the New York State Department of Health. That means people uh, in Hempstead Town, for instance, mm -hmm. who got a deferral, people in the Western Nassau uh, Water Authority, for instance, they got a deferral. Some people at the Suffolk County Water Authority uh, districts, they will be drinking water that comes out of the tap with higher levels of 1,4-dioxane, PFOA, and PFOS than the state allows, and the deferral will be for two years. Now, the state two years. They, you know, had some requirements. They, they didn't give out these deferrals willy-nilly. Um, they... Water suppliers were required mm. to prove they had a plan to meet the standards, they had ordered the equipment, um, and that they were in the process of implementing the changes they needed to implement to meet the standards. But you know what? If you're a homeowner, and this is what's happening right now, people are getting letters saying we don't currently meet these standards, but don't worry, we got another two years to do it. How happy would you be, Greg, to get that letter knowing you're drinking three toxic chemicals well documented in the literature to be harmful and you're going to do it for two more years pretty exciting isn't it 
I think I'd be about I think I'd be about as happy as if I got a letter saying my cesspool was failing because septic systems are not designed to remove nitrogen. And that's another problem with the water here in Nassau and Suffolk counties. Absolutely. Here's something we don't want, but yet we have. It's the claim to fame that Suffolk County is the septic capital of the world. I know. Aren't you proud? But what that means is that, unfortunately, there's about 360,000 homes. That's harsh. It's terrible. The septic Um, capital of the world. (laughs) Yes. Because we have 360,000 homes that are still work, still have septic or cesspools, which are even worse than septics. And there's another 50 to 60,000 businesses still on this antiquated technology. Look, it's the year 2021. We have to treat our sewage. As a civilized society, we should be treating our sewage. But it's even worse than that on Long Island. Not only are we not treating our sewage in 70% of Suffolk County and about 25 to 30% of Nassau, we're allowing the untreated sewage to seep underground and mix with the drinking water supply. That's just dumb and dangerous. So the goal is to, and Suffolk County is a rigorous plan for this, and I really have to congratulate them on this plan, uh, to replace people's old septics and cesspools with the new systems called IAs that actually treat sewage and the nitrogen. Um, they're expensive, but they- Are there are grants, aren't there, Adrian? Yes, the good news is, and I don't get to say this often, and but this is true. And I'm going to say this, and people are going to roll their eyes and say, that can't be true. But I'm telling you, it's true. Government wants to give you money to change out your septic and your cesspool. Really, they do. In Suffolk County, it's $20,000. Well, it's got to be cheaper for them- got to be cheaper for them in the long run to take care of the problem in that way than to deal with it later after the groundwater is contaminated beyond repair. No, that's true because we're polluting our drinking water and we're polluting our bays. And when the nitrogen gets out to the bays, it's causing all of these toxic tides, also called harmful algal blooms. And those those are algal blooms that are killing um, shellfish, clams, oysters, um, scallops. They're also killing thin fish. They are wreaking havoc on the ecology of our bays. And that's a big hit for us, both financially, because of the dollars that are lost to a shellfish and a fin fish industry. But also, people don't know this, Long Island's biggest industry is tourism. It's billions of dollars per year. But are people going to want to come here if the bays look like coffee because they have brown tide or there's a mahogany tide outbreak, which kills fish and the fish are washing up dead. I mean, there's a lot to think about here. And yes, you're right, Greg. That's why there are grants available because we want to protect our estuaries, protect our economy, our health, and also our tourism. Well, listen, as far as tourism goes, I have to say to the tourism industry, if you can't sell septic capital of the world, uh, you're not really trying. So, uh, Adrian, I know the three W's, the second W is waste. uh, And 
waste removal uh, is a big issue already on Long Island, and it's about to get bigger. The Brookhaven landfill is set to close in 2024. Uh, in addition to the solid waste that's dumped there, uh, how many tons, Adrian, of solid waste is dumped there annually? Greg, are you saying you want to talk trash with me? Am I? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. At the Brookhaven landfill, you're trash talking, Greg. I'm surprised at you, really. So at uh, Brookhaven landfill, uh, right now, there's about 350,000 tons of ash deposited at Brookhaven Landfill each year, 720,000 tons of construction and demolition debris. So there's a lot. And that's got to stop as of 2024. All that's got to go somewhere it's else. Done. The landfill uh, will have used its capacity up. There's no way for it to expand. It's already 276 feet high. It's a beautiful mountain. Um, of solid waste. It's now Long Island already ships hundreds of thousands of tons. Two hundred and five thousand tons of solid waste a year is already shipped off of Long Island to Pennsylvania, Virginia, Ohio. We're going to add what hundreds of thousands of more tons of waste and ash that needs a home. Yep, that's what it looks like. I mean, look, we're an island. Uh, are we going to build another landfill? No. Who's going to, A, we're not allowed to by law because we sit on top of our drinking water. But B, even if we were, where are you going to site a landfill that's going to be 276 feet high? I mean, do we want to put it in Stony Brook, Garden City, Westbury? Where would you like to put this without causing a community uh, upheaval? So... The only rational thing is to have it railed out, trucked out. And no place jumps to mind, absolutely. No, no place jumps to mind. First off, we don't even, I don't even know where we would have that many acres of land open. Here's a stupid question. How about offshore? Um, you mean like build an island of garbage? Sure. Yeah, not going to work. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. <laughs> so we could have like trash island and then we could sell tickets. You said tourism. I'm just trying to put asses in the seats, Adrian. Now- so I, what is the solution then here? I, I would imagine that waste reduction is a start. Yes. One of the only things everyone does agree on is waste reduction. Look, the easiest waste to uh, dispose of is the waste you don't produce in the first place. And the, the less waste we produce, the more taxpayers save because they don't have to pay for the reduction of that waste. And the better it is for the environment. So when we reduce our waste, it's not only better for the environment, it's better for our wallets. So we're working right now on a bill with Senator Kaminsky and Assemblyman Engelbright. Now, how do we do that? Well, this is a bill that actually would get the big companies, the manufacturers, uh, to have to deal with the waste from their products. So, you know, you get those Amazon boxes and it's a box in a box with packing material and you only ordered two things, but you could have packed 25 things. Right now, we have so much waste and excess packaging for both paper and plastic um, that it really is crazy. We've gone crazy. And manufacturers have no incentive to reduce the waste because they don't have to pay for it. We do. We pay for all that excess waste. We're working right now on a program that would shift the burden away from taxpayers and away from local government and put the burden of that excess packaging 
back on the manufacturers who manufactured that wasteful stream in the first place so that that'll incentivize them to reduce the packaging and really only use what they need for those particular products. Let me give an example. All of us, you go to the grocery store, you get a box of cereal or a box of crackers, and the box is usually about 20% larger than it needs to be because they want you to think you're getting more. You're getting this big box and it only costs X. You're getting this big box of crackers or cookies. But that's marketing. If the industry was required to help pay for the disposal of that box, now they have an incentive to reduce the size and make it more accurate. Imagine if every cereal box and every cracker box and everything on the shelf was 20% smaller. You're getting the same amount for your money. It's just 20% less waste. This is the kind of programs that we need to start incentivizing and that's what this bill does that we're working on. Is there any sense in uh, attempting to mandate recyclable materials in all packaging? Are we anywhere near that? Uh, that's a great question, Greg. You've done your homework. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can go out and get Chobani yogurt, which I'm addicted to and I absolutely love. And it's in a recyclable container. You could also go out and get a yogurt from a different company and it's in the same looking container, but it's a different plastic and it's not recyclable. Why are we doing that? Why don't we have a uniform uh, way, uh, a uniform type of plastic that we use in food products so it's all the same type, it's easy to recycle, it is recyclable, and we can reuse it. So you've hit on an extremely good point, and that's part of this bill that we're working on as well. Um, it makes good sense. Manufacturers can do that. They just haven't been required to. All right. Let me see if I can keep up my hot streak here. The third W, no doubt, is wind. Uh, I thought there was a lot of good news in uh, NYSERDA's uh, 2021 to 2024 strategic outlook, uh, which came out this week and mentioned things like support for SUNY's Offshore Wind Training Institute, which uh, Stony Brook University and Farmingdale State College are going to administer. The strategic outlook was also bullish, let's say, on the many proposals out there uh, that have come in answer to Governor Andrew Cuomo's call for 9,000 megawatts of offshore wind-generated electricity uh, by 2035. So, uh, and that's hardly the only government document or program, you know, state or federal, that's focused on offshore wind. So, how does wind factor into your plans for this year, Adrian? Well, the answer, my friends, is blowing in the wind. Uh, the wind actually is a great resource. It's consistent. It's uh, something that we don't have to go to a different country and excavate for. Um, and it is something that um, isn't polluting. So these offshore wind farms, 9,000 megawatts, which is the governor's goal, uh, that's enough to supply 30% of the electricity for New York's electric needs. That's pretty damn significant. We can reduce our carbon output by 30% in New York State by supporting offshore wind. And there are right now five different proposals off of uh, Long Island and New York City and two different companies. One is called Orsted. The other one is called Equinor. 
Orsted is from Denmark. Equinor is from Norway. So, you know, these proposals are anywhere between 22 miles offshore and 50 miles offshore. So they're not going to be a visual impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Out of visible range, yeah. right? If you could see 50 miles offshore, stop bragging, okay? Because And, and, and I don't believe you. I'm sorry. You, <laughs> um, no, I didn't say I could. I no, said no, nobody you. could. <laughs> I mean, if anybody Maybe listening Superman could. is worried about the view shed, um, you may actually, I mean, in fairness, you may actually see the ones that are 20, 22 miles offshore. Like you might see something on the horizon. Um, but listen, I, 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 when I go to the- It's not ruining your day at the beach. It's not ruining your day at the beach. And when I go to Northport, I can see the Northport power plant. It's not invisible. When I go to Port Jeff, I can see the Port Jeff power plant. It's very visible. It's right there. I was just going to say, nobody doesn't go to Danford's because of the Port Jeff power plant. So that's all. Exactly. That, you're exactly right. So we we can see our, our energy um, infrastructure. That's life. You like your cell phone. You like your air conditioner. You like your TV. You know what? We're going to produce energy. And I'm not even going to tell people that wind is perfect. It's not perfect. No large-scale energy infrastructure is environmentally benign. That's just not the reality in where, you know, which we live. But wind power is exceptionally kind to the environment, and it's the best large-scale wind and solar, I want to add. Those are the best large-scale energy production, infra- energy-producing infrastructure we have right now. The prices come way down. Mm-hmm. The efficiency has gone Wind way and up. solar, you're saying? And solar, large-scale you solar. Mean, do you mean combining them or are you speaking about – are you co- talking about combining them or do you mean having them individually? Individually. You know, we can – when we have solar farms, uh, residential solar, it was really on a hot streak before COVID hit. Um, and as a, the technology is just advanced so much, the prices come way down, you know – Oil is unpredictable, right? Oil last year was $30 a barrel. This year, I just checked this morning, it's $52 a barrel. So the cost of wind and solar is very predictable. What's more important, that Long Island establish offshore wind farms to take care of its own energy needs or that it become maybe even an epicenter, if that's not too big a word, for a national wind industry? You know, if you're going to build a training institute here, I would imagine, you know, we are an island with easy access to offshore environments. I would imagine that uh, people from all over the country might be, or other coastal regions at least, might be sending their personnel here to train. Do you see that as a large-scale contributor to Long Island's socioeconomics? Absolutely. Unequivocally. Uh, What we see happening right now is because of these five wind proposals, we see, uh, we believe, and we've been working with the wind industry, Um, more jobs, for instance, in the electric field, in the technician field, even in the service department, uh, in even the public education field, because people want to know what is wind. It's, this is all new to America, but it's not new in Europe. They have a lot of offshore wind there. Um, but these, this new electric source is going to bring jobs and it's going to bring stability into the electric market. Those are two very important thing uh, things for us, not only as an island,
but also as a state. For instance, the South Fork, they are experiencing an increase in electric demand. They, we have to meet that electric demand because, and how is it going to be done? Well, we either have to build a new fossil fuel power plant on the South Fork, or they have to approve the, the offshore wind farm. Those are the two choices. You know, we don't have a magic wand where we wave the magic wand and the electricity goes on. It comes from somewhere. And it has to be right now, the choices are fossil fuels, wind or solar, and they have chosen renewables. The state has chosen renewables to fill that need. So those are some good choices. And I just want to say this, we're living in really uh, such an intense time of change here in New York State. When you change the way you produce energy, you change the future for the better. As we transition from dirty, dangerous fossil fuels to cleaner, safer renewables, we are making a change for the better, a societal change, uh, geopolitical change. We're changing uh, our air quality. We're improving our air quality. Those are significant changes that will benefit us, and we're fighting climate change. So there's real meaning in this, and we're on the great precipice of that change right now. You're in the business of changing minds, Adrian. Um, humans don't always intuitively arrive at the right choice uh, for the current and future environment. Uh, sometimes they need to be convinced. And as we've seen, that can be a monumental task with a lot of factors working against you. Uh, how hard is it to change minds and how do you do it? You know, um, changing minds and also changing public behavior many agree is one of the hardest things to do. And it takes a lot of education and it takes uh, authentic messengers. People uh, need someone they trust to deliver the message. And it takes a lot of uh, personal discussion. You know, people don't change their mind or because they see a commercial. They don't change their behavior because they, you know, saw an ad in the paper. And it does take a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, coordinated effort, and but it works. I mean, it definitely works. And I am a strong believer in that people want a better future and they want to be a participant in making the world a better place. I 100% believe that, I've seen that. But it's a matter of getting people the right information so they can adjust or change their behavior, or their support for things based on facts and science. The biggest thing we fight, Gregory, are myths. The biggest thing we fight are myths and misinformation. And it's a challenge. It's doable and we do it, <laughs> but it is a challenge. What is your uh, What is your definition of innovation? Innovation? Innovation. Innovation to me Innovation to me is when we come up with a solution um, that is doable, is something that is understandable by the public, and makes a significant change. Because honestly, if the public doesn't understand it and we can't implement it, what difference does it make? Adrian Esposito, brilliant, effective, the face of Long Island environmentalism, 
thank you so much for talking with us today. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. Now, listen, Adrian, before you go, every guest has to do this. So I have two cards in my hand and you have to pick one. So your choices are name your favorite and why or word association. What do you choose? This is a very tough one, but I'm going to go with word association. <laughs> word association. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. Just I'm like at the psychologist's office. Are you ready? Spring. Flowers. Algae. Toxic algae blooms. <laughs> Sorry. Fuel. Hybrid. Balance. Equinox. Equinox. Well, that's that's deep. She is the executive director of the Citizens Campaign for the Environment. I'm the editor over at InnovateLI.com, and this is Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast. We'll catch you again next time. Thank you for joining us at Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast. To recommend a guest, contact us at editor at InnovateLI.com. Want to create your own podcast? Visit our sponsor, brandstorycasting.com forward slash innovate.